This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be with you again. I am Pastor Larry. I'm a retired pastor. Jan and I and our family attend uh, this church, and every once in a while, pastor gets really weak at heart and lets me <laughs> preach. But, but, by the way, it's, it's an honor to, to preach. It, it, is, it is a responsibility, and it's scary. I've been doing it for 40 years. I don't care. When I think about I'm helping spread the gospel and trying to speak God's words, then, man, God, you're going to hold me responsible for this. So all i got a favor to ask, pray for me, okay? I'll try to preach long or short, funny or serious, but help me do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I just want to say, you don't see Pastor here, you don't see Trenton here, and you think that maybe, maybe I have uh, committed an insurrection. You know, (laughs) January 6th, I'm done listening to them. I'm going to preach now. And uh, welcome online, by the way. And they're not here if you can't see them on camera. And it wasn't me that led an insurrection. It was Allie and Sarah and Sasser. Actually, Rhonda's back uh, as our online host today. So your pastor's wife is here. Uh, Trenton and pastor are in Houston, Texas, learning their times tables. Well, they, they got told they went to the church multiplication conference, so what else would that be but times tables, right? They're learning how to count nine times nine, right? 81. I got it. I looked it up. Google. In actuality, church multiplication is about running more than one campus. It's about planting new churches, that sort of thing. It's about always being tired. It really is. Because you're always trying to do something for God that's bigger than what you're doing right now. So, we're going to take a moment right now and ask God's blessing on them because they're probably going to get fire hosed with all sorts of new concepts and new information, and then they'll get challenged on the old information. Are they even doing that? On and on and on. So uh, we love you guys. We miss you. We wish you were preaching. And uh, let's pray for them. Yeah, Father, I just come in the name of Jesus Christ, and I pray blessing on, yes. on uh, PK and on Trenton. I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit into their hearts and lives. Lord, right now, may they feel the comfort and power of the Holy Spirit, and then open their minds to the concepts that you have for this church, this, uh, for, the, for Relevant Life, to be a part of the church multiplication process. Because we want to multiply your kingdom. We want to be that yeast in the bread that grows. We want to be that mustard seed that becomes a tree, Lord. And we know that there are leaders, and they're going to be the one who, who step forward and, and help us understand what to do. So pour out your spirit. Bless the leaders that are there, God, the whole, everybody, every pastor, and those that are leading them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God. We want them to be visionary. Now, I'm going to share with you as a retired pastor, the problem with being a visionary is you have to help other people get that vision. You have to light the fire under you. And how do you like to have a fire under you? I don't. It's too warm, right? Unless there's a in the seat warmer of my car, then, then that's a good thing, right? This message is the fourth uh, of the series titled Playing the Long Game. This is up here for pastor. Let's get it down where it belongs. All right. <clears throat> its purpose is to help us recognize that we are living finite lives, but playing by infinite rules with an eternal purpose at stake. There's more to this life than what we see and what we touch and what... Uh, I think this has been, always been a tension in my life. How come I want to love God, but then I have a desire to do other things? How come I really break through with God at camp or whatever, and I get home, and three weeks later, it's homework or whatever all over again? And I've got to struggle with that stuff. And, but, it's, but this is so true that we are living in a tension between, between uh, the finite, I actually have bills to pay, and the infinite, God supplies all my needs. When I get to heaven, I won't, you won't get a bill in the mail. Yay, right? No such thing as insurance in heaven. Praise God. All the doctors will be out of work. Yeah, yeah, because it's heaven. So more requires investment in order to participate in it. Playing the long game requires us to live with eternal perspective, 
Live between now and not yet. Live by faith, not by sight. And live with the goal to please God. Those are all nice sermon points, but how do we do it? How do we get there? The challenge to all of us throughout this series is to examine ourselves and ask, what game am I playing? Because we're talking about the long game here. Am I in the long game, the infinite game, or am I playing in the finite game only? The long game is actually the real game. The finite game is just an initiatory, just a time, maybe 70, 80 years, where we, where we deal with what's here on earth. Um, in the second message, after Pastor introduced this, in the second message, Pastor... Uh, Ask us the question, who is your coach? And of course, he was referring to God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And then he asked us, are you coachable? Are you open to that? Uh, I had the opportunity to be at the hospital, and I visited a man, and, and I, I uh, uh, as a chaplain, a volunteer chaplain, and I asked him how he's doing, and I asked him, I said, I want to pray for you. Uh, do you mind that? And do you have a faith background? And we asked that question not so much to, to, to get them saved, although that would be wonderful, but you have to be careful how you pray. Am I praying for a, a person of one persuasion or another persuasion or of no persuasion? You know, you have, to, you have to kind of tailor what you're doing. And he said, I haven't been in a church in 30 years. He says, because of that pastor, what he did. I'm sorry for that. But, you know, when that happened, you know what God was trying to teach him in the infinite game? Love and forgiveness. To let 30 years of bitterness. I, I did tell him this. I said, you know, I've been in a restaurant and had a bad meal. I have. But it didn't stop me from going to restaurants. <laughs> so if you're here and you're thinking about maybe hurt in the past from a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, or someone in, in authority in the church, I would just ask you to give that over to God and realize God's got a great plan for you. Jesus was hurt on the cross, but he forgave us. Forgave us, excuse me. And, and the same should, should work in my life, too. That was extra. Okay. Uh, then Pastor Sasser last week, I love to say that. Only let's leave the T out. Pastor Sasser. Pastor Sasser uh, presented us with the concept of playing our lives with a constant fourth quarter lifestyle. One of the criticisms of sports, and he brought this up, is so true, is you see an NBA game and they don't play hard to the last three minutes, you know. And, or even in, a, in a football, my wife will say, how much longer are the Seahawks playing? Well, they only got three minutes left. She said, it'll be another half hour. Exactly. Timeouts, commercials, playing hard, throwing the ball, out of bounds, clock stops, out of bounds, clock stops, and now they're playing hard. And, and when in reality... Uh, if those same sports teams would play hard in the first uh, part of the game, in the early parts of the game, innings, quarters, whatever they are, right, uh, periods according in hockey, uh, then maybe they'd be far enough ahead that the game wouldn't be that frantic at the, at the end. Uh, but there are people who wait till they're lying in a hospital bed with tubes all over them and say, maybe I better get with God. I'm telling you, the long game is you get with God today now, and you play hard all the way through life. I want to tell you this now. God plans no vacations for your spirituality. I'm not saying you shouldn't go on vacation. I'm not saying you shouldn't take a three-day break. I'm not saying you shouldn't go over to the coast on a Saturday afternoon and come back. Whatever it is, you need that in this finite world. But Jesus goes with you. You know, your behavior in the restaurant doesn't change because suddenly you're out of town. That sort of thing, okay? So you do need to play hard all the time. If we're going to live for eternity now, we're going to follow our coach, we're going to play hard, and there's more. What I hope to uh, alert you about today is to say, what is the biggest problem? What is our um, worst temptation? What is it that may take us out of the long game? What is it that maybe focuses our mind only on the short game and, and Jesus gets put on, on the bench over there and, and we're busy handling all of our, our issues ourselves? And uh, so I want to talk to you and highlight one of the enemy's greatest strategies in doing that uh, because it's easy to say what to do, but sometimes we have to also avoid 
We also have to realize when we're on, a, on the, there's a switch on the train track over here, and we should take that one or we shouldn't take that one, and we need to know the differences, okay? So um, I do want to say this. I just want to be clear. In an illustration way, more than one player, star player, star players have uh, been removed from a roster because they played their own game instead of the coach's game, right? Uh, a name you may have heard of, Antonio Brown, was a football player, just left the field, took his, took his uh, pads, his, went down to his bare chest and stomped off the field. Well, he's not on that team anymore. Surprise, surprise, you know? But it happens, it happens. I, as I coached junior high basketball, I had players I had to say, come sit down. Why? Because I hollered past the ball and you shot the ball. Well, you see, what happens is we get so interested in our game that we want to, we want to pad our stats. I want to be that 30-point scorer. I want to be the guy in football that gets all the sacks. I want to do the sack dance. I want to be somebody because it's going to be a bigger contract for me. I'm going to do this stuff. And the, the issue is... When a defensive player, like in football, freelances and he's told to go fill up that hole and he cuts through here and he gets a sack, he looks like a hero. But nine times out of ten, he cuts through here and the running back runs through where he was supposed to be. And he hurt the team, not helped the team. And the same thing with that basketball or soccer player that won't pass the ball. Right? Here's your buddy down there by the basket. No, I'm going to dribble all the way down, get there, and just as I go up to slam dunk it, I'm going to knock it off my knee and run it out of bounds. And when that happens too much, coaches invite you over to the bench. If it keeps happening, they may tell you, would you turn in your uniform, please? Now, I don't want to tell you God's not gracious and God's not merciful, but he wants you to play the long game. He wants your teamwork not to be just with one another but with him and to come in and be so I want to I don't want to be down today but I do want to be serious and I do I do want to share with you some ways to to avoid this temptation to, to get onto the short game the Bible is littered with examples because this is serious of the devil wielding this temptation tool he used this stratagem against Eve and Adam he used this stratagem against King David, against Judas. See, these people and many more in the Bible thought that grass was greener elsewhere than God's will. All of them thought of this finite life as having the better reward than the infinite life. Eve thought that knowing evil was better than knowing God. Literally, the devil said, hey, you'll know good and evil too. And you'll be like God. King David was walking on a roof. He looked down, saw a beautiful babe and thought, you know, this whole thing about the kingdom is wonderful and I should have been out at war with my other guys. But man, having that would be way better than being a model king, than dancing in the temple praising God. That would be just delicious, wouldn't it? Judas thought 30 pieces of silver in this life was better than sitting on an apostle's throne next to Jesus in that life. So this is serious. And yet, let's not get down. Let's just go, hey, it's serious when my dad told me to drive on the right side of the road, too, and to know how to use my brake as well as my gas. I didn't always listen to him, but it's serious, okay? All right. One way of being disqualified is to just lose focus on the fact that the long game exists and is, in fact, the real game of life. Deception is Satan's game, and confusion is his goal. Uh, John 8, you belong to your father. This is Jesus talking to the, the Jewish leaders, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Discontent is what he does. He, makes, he lies to you saying you're not happy with what you have now. You need more. And we tend to focus in on the finite world rather than on the infinite world. Now, discontent can be a good thing when it's used as a motivator. If I say I'm discontented with my 
prayer life or my giving life or I'm dis- discontented with, with the fact I tend to get angry too quickly, that, that, that's a good discontent. If pastor is discontent that we don't have enough people in, in, in our pews or listening online, that's a good discontent. That's a motivator, right, for, for good. But it is a terrible thing when it leads to thinking that only the approval and standards of this world are important. Unhealthy discontent ignores God and diminishes our capacity to care for others. You hear that? It ignores God when it's unhealthy, and it diminishes our capacity when it cares for others. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. What if Eve had looked at Adam and said, this might hurt him? Mm-hmm. What if David had thought about all the other wives he'd already accumulated and said, this wouldn't be good for them? What about my sons that I have? Would this be a good, good model for them? See, a, a discontent can lead us to, to just not care anymore for other people. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, the very same tactic. You need bread now. You need to be famous now. I'll give you all this if you just do it now. Don't be content with what God plans. You realize that one of the best ways to play and win the game of life is by planting and being faithful. You don't need to be somewhere else or own something more. You just need to cultivate where you are. Now, I'm going to approach this subject with the help of Luke 12. For the sake of context, this narrative is found after some intense teaching by Jesus against the Jewish leaders regarding uh, their hypocrisy and love of wealth. Um, Those Jewish leaders have now moved to very fierce opposition. Okay, this is, Jesus is kind of headed towards Jerusalem, it says in, in chapter 9. We're going to look at chapter 12. And then later he gets there, and in all the way, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the Jewish lawyers were all saying, we've got to get this guy. We've got to get him out of the way. So now he's kind of turned from them because they're not listening, and he is talking to his disciples and the surrounding crowds. And out of that crowd comes a man who says, Hey, uh, Jesus, you're a rabbi, and, we, and this is what they use rabbis for. And stuff. Uh, my brother won't share my inheritance with me. You know, he's not giving me the even split. Even though I didn't do anything to help mom and dad, I want my share of the money. That sort of thing. You know, what we hear nowadays with a, a problem with wills and, and that sort of stuff. And so this is how Jesus answers him. He, in, in Luke 12, verse uh, 16. And he told them this parable. He uses an indirect answer. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I hope God never has to say that to me beyond the times he does it every day, just about. (laughs) You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This man was already rich. He was a, a farmer that had big acreages, right? He owned enough property so that when an unusually big bumper crop came in, he was overflowing with options as to what to do with it. He, he could manage it any way he wanted to. Did he open a food bank to help the hungry people? No. Did he give his workers a nice bonus? Probably not. Did he make a special donation to the local synagogue? No to all these things. Instead, he chose to store it for himself, thinking, I will tear down what I have, I'm discontented with what I have, and I'm going to build bigger for myself. I watch uh, some HGTV, you know, these renovation type, type shows, and they'll have these people shopping for houses, and these ladies will walk in and say, that's a closet. I need something four times bigger than that. I say, how many clothes can you wear at once? How many shades of black do you ladies really have to have? You know? Uh, really? But I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. He, he maybe even thought, you know, now that I got more than I need, people in this town, they're, they're going to think I'm somebody. They're going to be a little afraid of me when they vote for the council. I'm, 
I'm going to expand who I am and what I'm doing. And in the back of his mind, I'm thinking, he may have even been thinking this. I'll build those bigger barns, and next year, if another bumper crop comes in, I'm going to show off by tearing down the new barns and build bigger barns. I am into now. Infinite thinking was far from his intention. His thoughts were solely on money and leisure for himself without any thought for what God had planned. You know what's sad about this? Now, we, we tend to look at this guy and he's a bad man. He's a naughty, naughty, naughty bad man. Jesus, I'm sure, was allowing his disciples to assume this. This man was Jewish and knew the law. He was in your community. He wasn't some pagan over there. He could have even been in the church. He wasn't just a naughty, naughty pagan man over there. He was anybody and everybody that puts his own needs in front of somebody else's needs that doesn't think about God when you're making your decisions, when he's making his decisions. So now, what comes next? Jesus begins to build, and he's told the parable, now he's going to build an argument out of it, um, uh, an argument in, in a sense of uh, uh, an essay. He's building his, his case uh, that uh, trusting the infinite, eternal care of God, which will, uh, will be the, for the best, it will lead to solutions for this temptation. It will help us avoid the temptation. So he's got to build this base first so we can focus on the infinite destination of our souls because we don't want to hear, you fool. We want to hear, well done, right? That's what we want to hear. So in verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He goes on. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Living the short game, living for this life alone, causes anxiety for what I can get for me now. The long game is to be concerned for God, giving me his best benefits possible, giving me his best benefits possible, because they will last for eternity. To set your sights on this greener world is to ignore the support and care of God. Oh, God can't handle this. I got to go shopping again. God can't handle my, uh, my needing a raise. He, he won't take it. i got to maybe undercut my, my other guy who wants that job. God can't do that. When we worry over what we can attain just for us, we begin to assume that God has no blessing, no plan, no power, and no support. He's just two-dimensional. He doesn't fit in my life everywhere, just where I kind of need him to be. There's a story about a boy that many thought really wasn't that bright. Okay. No, it's not a story about me, okay? <laughs> Everybody thought I was super smart, yeah, except my mother and father and my brothers. But anyway, uh, he would, the neighborhood kids found out that they could take their allowance money and they could say, do you want the $1 bill or do you want the $5 bill? And he'd say, oh, one is a bigger, better number. It's like an ace. I want the $1 bill. And then they would laugh, and then they'd give him the dollar bill, and they would tease him, and they'd leave him out of the games and all that sort of thing. Well, one day, Mom got wind of this. 
And she says, kid, what's with you? You're smarter than that. You know a $5 bill is worth five times what the $1 bill is. Why are you doing that? He said, mom, if I take the $5 bill, they're going to quit giving me money. <laughs> He's in it for the long game. That $1 bill wasn't going to cut it when he wanted to keep, he probably had $20, $30, $40 by the time they got done teasing him, you know. One $5 bill next to 20 bucks. Think about it. Let me be clear. We do need things in this life. We've got to pay our mortgages. We've got to wear clothes. We've got to eat. Sometimes less, but we've got to eat. All of those sorts of things. We have to sustain our lives, and we want to better our families. Jesus did not say to this man, you should have quit working and went and lived on a mountain and I would have maybe sent some food to you once in a while and a few rags to wear. He did not say that. Instead, he says, stop fretting about it. Stop focusing only on that in your life. There is so much more to live. Well, he says, stop and smell the flowers, right? One time I was driving Jan to the coast and I was young and man, I was... My idea was destination. You get from Salem to Lincoln City, and you get there as fast as you can go. And finally, that little hand came over and rested on my, on my forearm. He says, honey. I said, yes. She said, would you mind if we enjoyed the trip? <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, but my tummy is about to un make you not enjoy the trip. So, uh, you know. Notice in verse 21, please, back there with the parable. Does he tell the man, you shouldn't have worked hard, you shouldn't have had this bumper crop? That isn't, that isn't the issue. God wants to bless you. There'll be times you'll get bumper crops in your life. The issue is, do all that, but be rich toward God. Let those riches be more important than these riches. There'll be times when you have a lot. And there'll be times when you have very little. But can you love God in between and always? Are you, are you going to give to God financially when you have a lot, but not when it's a little? Then what does it mean? What does that really mean? He gets your surplus, but nothing more, right? So, when he says, do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink, he means for us to stop thinking that is the only goal in life. Don't obsess over that when there's an infinite life to live. He's directing us to live in God's eternal plan while doing our best in this earth to cope with the finite world. I knew a family in Olympia, Washington, when I was in charge as a pastor over a private school of 350, 400 students. And there was a family there that had multiple kids in this school. And their tuition bill was, woo like this. And we did our best to raise scholarship funds, tuition assistance, all that sort of thing. And one time the, the board said, we want this family. They're such a good family. And they've really got all these kids in school. They need the help. And we found out that their, their uh, income so through some way was very low. So they, we called them in and we said, hey, we, we want to lift your burden. We want to, you know, they lived in a small house. They had an older car, all this sort of stuff. And uh, we said, we want to we bless you. We, we've, got a, we've got scholarship money here, and we're going we're gonna to take that burden off your, off your shoulders. And their reply was, no, thank you. Please give that to someone else who needs it. Low income, small house, not so good neighborhood, older car. See, their hearts were not set on those things. They had all the shelter and transportation they needed, not wanted, but needed. Their hearts were set on making sure in every possible way that their children would have as many opportunities to, as possible to live the long game and live for Jesus Christ. They wanted them in this private school to hear about Jesus. And they felt, even though they had very little income, if I told you that income now, you would still, some of you that are only working minimum wage would be making more money than what they made then. Okay, they, they would tell you, we're content, we're fine. Give it to someone else who really needs it, who has triple our income but is wasting their money elsewhere. You know, give it to somebody else. 
You know, I like it every once in a while. You all have had this experience where God gives you an insight into some scripture you already know, you've already read, right? Like I like Psalm 23, and I've prayed and meditated through it a lot. But one day, the Spirit dropped something in my heart as I was looking at it, and it was a real joy. And it was, it was this. In verse 2, uh, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, if I'm a sheep, now stop and think about this. Psalm 23 knows all about peace and support of God and how he gives peace and comfort, right? But you stop and think about this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's like telling some of you, uh, I don't eat when I go to the pizza shop. It's a pizza restaurant. I just sit there and watch everybody else eat, and I'm good. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, man, you put me in a green pasture as a sheep. I'm there to do what? Get on all fours and start eating, and eat as much as I can, everywhere I can, uh, all that I can. And even go over the fence and look over this. It's greener over there. I, I need that. I need that. I, I, I want to eat. I want to eat. But he makes me lie down in green pastures. Or when we have an infinite view of finite things, we rest in the assurance of his provision. God's given me grass. I don't need more grass than I can eat. This is all good. I can experience peace because God's provision will not fail me. The finite is no longer where my heart is set. Jesus gives the entirely opposite view here in this set of scriptures to, settling, to setting our hearts on the finite. Instead, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Putting God first means just that. Don't set, seek. Don't set on the finite, seek the infinite. Setting one's heart on the finite will limit your seeking of the infinite. Hear that. Setting your heart on the finite will limit your seeking of the infinite. Set, in this case, could be short for settling for less. Seeking is actively looking for connection with God and direction from him, which truly is better than what this world provides. Philippians chapter 4, 11 says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all these, this through him who gives me strength. Paul wrote this from a filthy prison. At other times, he was free as a bird and ate with governors. He could be hungry or full or needy or well-resourced, and he was content because while all these things do happen in life, none of them could affect his relationship with God. Being poor, being rich. The connection stays the same. In fact, instead of looking for greener grass, he saw God opportunities all around him. He could witness more easily. He had time to write the letters we now see in our Bible. Listening to your coach and playing hard doesn't change whether you're ahead or behind on the world's scoreboard. Because if you look into the heavenly scoreboard, it says, you've already won. Christ won for you. You are more than a conqueror. So when you, you're thinking, I need more, I need more, take some time to look into the heavenly scoreboard and ask yourself, do I really need it? Do I really need it? Or if I can get it, how can I use it for the kingdom rather than use it for my own purposes? That, that's the real key here. What actions and attitudes help us seek the kingdom? We're going to go on into Scripture uh, and, and see what, what did Jesus present to us that will help us stay on the infinite track and deal with discontent. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will, never, that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him, and it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching him when he comes. And he goes on to say, and even the master will wait on them. So the first thing we need to do is live in faith rather than fear. He said, don't be afraid, little ones. When he said little ones, he means I'm, I can take care of you. You know, I'm your daddy, not you're my daddy that way. Say this with me. God is pleased, God is pleased to, give me the to give me the kingdom. 
God is pleased to give me the kingdom. Did you know you were kingdom owners? You already owned the kingdom through Jesus Christ. He has given you an eternal home made in the heavens. What are you afraid for in this temporal world then? If God takes my soul, I'm going to the better place than this one. There will be no mortgage payment there. What more do you need in the game that's being played among those who have no hope? Realize that. That person on the, on the commercial, if they don't have Christ in their life, they're just doing that to get money. They don't have any hope in their life like you do. Oh, but I want, I want, I want. They don't know Jesus. You got something. They should be listening to you. They should be hearing your, your heart and your voice. You know what? No one in heaven is going to care that you were able to get the yard-long eyelashes onto your eyes. So every time you flooded your eyes, you kind of went like this. <laughs> I saw a lady up in, up in uh, Redmond once. I swear, pretty girl. But I couldn't see her for the eyelashes. <laughs> and let me ask you this. What part of those eyelashes help her relationships? How do they pay bills? How do they love somebody else? Now, I'm not, I'm not against you ladies being in fashion. I am totally not. But the idea is, yes, you can have some eyelashes that help thicken yours up. That's no problem. But when you say, no, I've got to have the ones that go out here, <laughs> you've got to be careful. There's hunters in here. <laughs> that could be antlers, you know. How about ripped jeans? How many ripped jeans do we need? How many rips in our jeans? Couple here, couple here, couple, oh, couple there. Huh? I gotta have them. I gotta have them. See, it's not all about money. It's about fashion. How about some of you guys? I just got a pickup and I had to have it. Had to have it. Did your Jeep work fine? Yeah, low miles. Yeah, yeah, but I had to have that pickup. Just had to. Your house. You know, I want a house that somebody else can be proud of me for. It's called keeping up with the Tomblesons, right? That sort of thing. You know, nobody in heaven is going to care about those eyelashes, those rips, the car, the, the promotion at work, or anything like that. Nobody's even going to care. None of the women are going to care that Jan married the most handsome, wonderful husband in the entire history of the universe. She won't get any points up there for it. Sorry, babe. Really, you know? <laughs> but when we set our hearts on that, we quit seeking the infinite. And I'm serious about romantic relationships. How many hearts have been broken because we won that good Christian man but we, or woman, but we will settle for because we're just lonely? Warning to all you singles out there. Don't settle. Seek. 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 The long game is played by people who care what Jesus thinks about everything. Because we just trust him, Jesus should be in our wallet, in our car, in our house. His opinion should matter regarding our family, our work, our neighbors. He determines all because he has given all. Faith casts out the fear of losing the finite game. When you possess heaven given to you by God, what more can you gain? Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Am I willing to trade heaven for money? Of course not. But am I willing to trade my money for heaven? It's an entirely different question, isn't it? What I got, will I give up? 
Unfortunately, there are people who will say that they always talk about money, they always want money, and money, 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 and what they're really saying is, I'm not going to share, right? Whenever we get presented with a situation like that where it's a little touchy in our heart, you know, about money or other things, the devil leaps in with discontent immediately, with fear. You're going to be a loser. You don't need less, you need more, more, and more. But that's a trap that leads to finite thinking if we, if we swallow it. What's the antidote? Remember, heaven is more than enough. Tell Satan that. Remind yourself that Jesus' promises are worth more than anything this world can offer. Nothing Satan offers can ever, ever, ever compare to the reward of living for Christ, both in this life and in the next. Finite versus infinity. It's not even close. Step two, be generous and open to those who have less than you. Notice Jesus says, sell all you have and give to the poor. I don't think that he was really intending for everybody to be so poor they couldn't help anybody else, right? That's not what he's saying. He's using hyperbole here, and he, and he can do that. It's okay to say, I'm going to use this big extreme example to make a point. And that's what he, that is what he's basically doing. Uh, he wants us to be generous and loving to those with less. Why? Because they have a need. No, they do have a need, and we can help. But it reflects how he treated us. Giving should be like breathing, essential to our infinite lives. As soon as I saw the Convoy of Hope thing and saw that was an opportunity, I leaned over to Jan and said, Jan, let's give. Let's do it. We need to do it. I could buy more hunting gear or tools or whatever, but God can use that money. And he can use it for infinite purposes. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Christ left the glories of heaven and paid the price of rejection and death so you could have those same glories that he had originally and live life eternal. When we give to those in need, especially when we don't give from abundance, but rather give it out of our sacrifice, you know, if we got, got an abundance, then fine, you can spend it wherever you want, right? But when you don't have it and you give it anyway, that's real. It keeps our goal of seeking heaven in the foreground of our thoughts. When I think I'm going to give to Convoy of Hope, I'm thinking, this is for God. Instead of, I'm going to take Jen out to a great big lunch after, after service. You know, that puts God in the background, not in the foreground. We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. Harry Ironside. In other words, just being thankful and giving. My heart was stunned some years ago when uh, we were planting Iris Valley Church in Kaiser uh, with the help of people and, 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 and People's Church had sent us out to do this. And we only had a Sunday morning facility. We did church in a box. We had to load our speakers and our sound system up and, and unload them all every Sunday. We didn't have a church for midweek services or anything, so we did small groups in our homes. And then for uh, bigger events, sometimes Jan and I opened our home. And like for uh, one year, we were doing Christmas. And at Christmas time, we, we, uh, uh, we had some kids that were coming that we were picking up, and they, they were urchins. I'm telling you, they were wild. They, they, were, they were basically not raised by their parents, you know. And, uh, but we picked them up at, in a section of town where the houses are small and crime is rampant and all that sort of stuff, and uh, picked them up, and I, was I went after them, and I was driving them to our house because we could get, in our 1,900-square-foot house, the way it was configured, if it was packed, but we could get 40 or 50 people if, as long as you never sat too still, right? You could keep moving and, and, and this sort of thing. And some would sit over here in a corner, and others would, would move around and, and fellowship. And I'll never forget, my, it just stunned my heart. I had, the house was kind of a periwinkle color, and I put Christmas lights on. It was not going to win any awards. It was not going to be in the Kaiser Light Parade. It was just a standard suburb house with some lights on it, right? Icicle lights. I drove up into our driveway, and this little guy who'd been bouncing off the walls of my car, you know, all over the place, driving up, and he looks up through the windshield, and he goes, and he was serious. Whoa. Is this a mansion? I 
I said, uh, no, no, it's, it's our house. But to him, it was luxurious and huge. I've been overseas. I've been in, in Palestine. I've been in the Philippines. I've been where our house would have only been fit for millionaires. What I should have told him is, no, it's my house. But for a lot of people and the rest of the world, your house would look like a mansion too. We need to be grateful and thankful. Giving to those with less helps reset your priorities from finite to infinite. Number three, faithfully serve and work for Jesus as, as if you will see him soon because you just might. The man in the parable didn't expect that, did he? Boy, what happens if this opens up? Boom, here we go. Now, we're in the presence of Jesus. Have all my decisions in the last 30 seconds or in all my life been for him? been thinking about him. I'm going to hurry here, but the rich farmer was surprised when God cut his life short. He had plans after all. He was going to build big barns and fill them up and live the merry life of ease, retire early. He didn't even come close. One of the best ways to win and play the game of life is by planting and being faithful. You don't need to be somewhere else. You just need to cultivate, as I said earlier, where you are. One doesn't need to wait to plant. Planting is a full-time job in all we do. I know this has never happened to you, but one time in school, not one time, but we used to have where you were disciplined at school, you know, and, and our teacher left the room. Well, usually there's orderly conduct while the teacher's in the room. But you know what started happening. Chaos, right? All sorts of things. Kids sitting on desks, all sorts of stuff. Spit was flying through the room. And, and, and I happened to turn around, and there in the doorway, was the evil emperor, Principal Warnock. Apparently the teacher had hollered, you know, hey, I gotta, I gotta go do something, can, can you get in my room? And Mr. Warnock, in his evil ways, walks quietly and goes and stands in the doorway like this. I saw him, I turned around. Pretty soon somebody else sees me, sees them, the whole room. The silence of that emperor now overtook the whole room. Boys were swallowing spitwads. <laughs> Girls quit squealing, you know, and screaming and that sort of thing. Um, even the teacher's pets turned a bit red. You know, if we had stayed faithful to the plan of being educated, of becoming good citizens. You see, those kids that went wild, now they're, now they're older, they're in charge of the world. Doesn't that make you feel better? If we'd stayed faithful, we wouldn't have had any reason to fear discipline. We opted for, infinite, for finite fun instead of long-term fruits of education. If only we had known that the one who could determine whether we stayed in for recess or went out for recess was going to show up at the door. If only we had paid attention to the infinite rather than the finite. When Israel went into captivity in Babylon, they were having false prophets tell them, you need to go back, you need to go back, fight, rebel, go back, go back. But Jeremiah the prophet said this in, in 29, chapter 29, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, say to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. He said to settle down and plant for the long term. Leave, live peacefully and bless others. And that is the way God has for you to escape disqualification in the long game. Become content. Plant faithfully over time. Your longevity in seeking the kingdom actually brings more reward than you can imagine because it's like interest in the bank or interest in your 401k or whatever it is. The more you leave it, the bigger it grows. And that's true in our infinite attitudes. Bloom where you're planted while you're seeking the face of God. Plant seeds of joy where you are with what you have and with whomever is nearby. God will bless you. How do we avoid disqualification in the long game? Listen to the winning coach. Play to win. Avoid the poison of worldly discontent. Instead, live in faith. Be generous. Plant where you are. Do it now. Don't fall for the greener on the other side of the fence because it just might be and probably will be AstroTurf. 
Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we just thank you for your love and your care. We ask your blessing in all we say and do. Lord, I don't want to be a downer about this, about this message, but I want these people to live for you, to avoid, Lord, uh, piercing themselves with many griefs. I want them, Lord, to, to sense your blessing and, and your partnership and live for you so that when the time comes in the rapture or in our death, whenever we transition to be with you, God, there will be a great reward and great joy in heaven, Lord. Help us to plant like we've never planted before. Pray like we've never prayed before. Give like we've never given before. And walk as like we've never walked before. Help us be wholly contented, contented in a holy way with you, Lord, and with the things that you give us. We honor you and we praise you. We know this is about attitude more than anything else. We know that it's about more than money. It's about wanting the world or wanting you. Help us, Lord, in that way. So now I'd just like to ask, if you have not decided to live for Jesus ever, this is a great opportunity at some point right here, right now, for you to think about, you know, ask, ask yourself this question. Do I want this? Is this all there is? No, this is not all there is. There is so much more. And all you've got to do, turn to a gracious and loving God and say, Lord, I want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus in my life. And I want to live for him and I want to grow in him. And I'll do it for the rest of my life. Help me, Lord. And if you'll just make that commitment, wonderful things will happen in your life. Wonderful things. I made that decision October 10th, 1969. Yes, I'm very old. I've never regretted that decision. I've never regretted that decision. God is so good. So now I'd like to ask, as our prayer team comes, we just pray one more time, and when you receive this blessing. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour your Holy Spirit out upon everyone here. Fill them with your love and help them sustain that love over all the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. These are here to pray with you. If you're saying, I'm having trouble with the short game, now's a great time to have a partner to pray with you. These are here if you need healing, whatever you need. God bless you. It's good to see a lot of you without masks. We hope in a week or two, no mask, right? God bless you. Take care. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.